In this episode, you'll hear me uh, dialogue with my my friend, the really talented, uh, great speaker and fantastic uh, person, uh, Gainalyn Condi. Uh, and so that seems like the right time for us to let you know about a joint workshop that she and I are doing together. The focus is going to be on scripture study skills and especially with the Book of Mormon. Uh, we were actually asked by uh, members of the, the General Sunday School Presidency in our podcasts and in other things that we do to help teach scripture study skills. So uh, we're trying to do that on uh, some of the little things I do in the podcast, but also on tsar.website, but trying to do it in lots of ways. But we also want to do kind of a focused uh, workshop thing. Uh, so we will do this together. It's March 16th. It's from 6.30 to 9 p.m. Uh, Gaina Lynn will do a couple of things, and I will do a couple of things to help you uh, be able to better study the scriptures in general. We're going to talk about understanding the Book of Mormon, about uh, stewarding instead of stressing and gospel learning. We'll do a Q&A and, and just uh, give you some scripture study skills in general. Uh, it's uh, $75 in person, and this will include snacks and things like that, and $55 if you want to view via, via Zoom and participate via Zoom. So seating is limited. We hope you get on this right away. Uh, you'll, you'll want to jump on top of this. Uh, you can go to tsar.website and go to the shop section to uh, to reserve your spot. Uh, you can there see where you can reserve either the in-person or online. So tsar.website, go to the little shop link and uh, reserve your spot. This is going to be a great night together. Hello and welcome to the Scriptures Are Real podcast. This is the podcast where we talk about elements of the scriptures that have become more real to us because we believe that helps us apply it to our lives better and we need all the help we can get. I'm your host, Carrie Mielstein, and I'm so happy to have with me uh, my friend, Gaina Lynn Condi. Uh, welcome, Gaina Lynn. It's good to be here. I'm so grateful that we have some time. You're one of my favorite scriptorians, so I'm oh. excited for this conversation. So now, now I have to pay you some kind of uh, fee for that. Thank you for <laughs> that. But well, we're, we're glad to have you with us. So let me tell our audience just a little bit. I'll let Gaina Lynn introduce herself, but I just want to tell everyone a little bit of how I, I know her. Um, she's a, a popular speaker and and has hosted, a, like, I don't know what you call them when they're video mostly, but podcasts and, and uh, interview series and so on, and had me on hers to talk uh, one time. And I was just so, I'd known of her before then, but uh, just got to be so impressed as I got to know her. And so our, our paths keep crossing, and now we're trying to, to team up uh, on a few things. We're doing a, a workshop uh, here pretty soon about uh, scripture study skills. We're going to do that together. We're planning on lots of other workshops together. Uh, we're uh, Gaina Lynn is on our uh, Patreon website that uh, we keep talking about. She's got fantastic stuff on there, and I hope to collaborate with her and my wife as well on on the things that she does uh, for mental health, which I think is so crucial and important. And uh, I just feel like what she does is important and needed and powerful, and so I'm uh, just thrilled to to know her and be able to be part of anything she does in any way. So uh, welcome, and please tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, thank you for that introduction. I feel the same way about you and grateful that I feel like God keeps orchestrating opportunities to collaborate and work together and put good out into the world. Um, I am the mom of two adult children. I have a, at the time of this taping, my youngest, my daughter is on a mission serving. Um, she was called to two different missions. So she served six months in a historic site with the amazing Brent top as her mission president at uh -huh. the Mormon battalion. And that was just like heaven. And then she is proselyting for a year in Knoxville, Tennessee with the amazing, um, humble Jesus focused people of the South. And, and then I have a 26 year old, uh, son who some people may recognize he's one of the hosts of saints unscripted. And, and we're grateful that we got to be parents of these two kids because I have some, uh, journey with stewardship of lupus and we didn't think we would be able to be parents. And so I feel really grateful that in the midst of my resume, um, motherhood is, is on that list. Um, I am the author of, I think at this point, 18, maybe 19 books. I don't know when my next book should be out in the next few months. Um, and I'm excited about that book. It is, it is a small little book about the Beatitudes. And if Christ, um, if I was to make a guess on what his first come follow me lesson with us will be when he comes again, he's given us a clue the first two times he came. <laughs> and so we kind of, 
in this book, I revisit the, the love of the Beatitudes and how integrated into our hearts they are. If we only have those 11, depending on what version you're studying, those 11 verses, um, they're part of, of, I think an important message that the savior keeps teaching. And I, I love writing, um, inspirational nonfiction. It, I have a teaching degree with a minor in psychology. And so I feel like speaking and hosting shows, some people may know me from the middle or talk of him. Um, I, I get to do local media a lot as well. I've had an article on the Today Show about my sister's mental health struggle and eventual her death to suicide. And so I've been able to work with the church in a number of places where faith and mental health kind of intersect. And I think um, when you look at the scriptures for what they really are, they are some raw, real stories of imperfect people navigating faith and life and family yeah. and to me, that's what the scriptures are about. God has not put one example. I've combed the scriptures. I don't see one example of the perfect family. He's made sure that we have a good um, overview of some really imperfect people trying to strive to manage life and family and faith. And that's kind of what I'm trying to do in 2024 uh, with a lot of great content creators out there, including yourself, having conversations in faith spaces um, where we also make space for what's really happening is kind of my my sweet spot and i love doing interfaith work i'm building a community called all faith keepers which is um, featured on your site and i grew up in a very interfaith rich community in northern california the feather river temple is now there but if anyone knows marysville you was sitting north of sacramento that's where i went to high school and Oh. And um, I've been married 33 years to an amazing, fabulous accountant. And he's um, a grounding force. I call him the old oak tree. He's just like solid roots and and um, supports me in, in my ministry and the work I'm trying to do. And so that's a little bit about me. And um, I have parents that were divorced before that was common in the church. And, and my mom is still married to my stepfather and so I, I feel like I've had some, some unique perspectives and lists of stewardships that, um, make the scriptures really, um, my, my personal Leahona through some ups and downs in life. So I'm excited to talk with you today. Oh, thank you. Thanks for sharing that. So I didn't know you had a son with Saints Unscripted. I've, I've recorded with them a couple of times, including yeah, just last week. Who, who's your son? My son is Cameron Condy. He's six oh. foot seven and they have a rotating list of hosts, but he's been yeah. doing it for about a year and a half. He's been over there. So I, my show, the middle, um, we had one season of the middle, the, um, the more good foundation that produces saints and scripted produced that show. And oh, that's great. And then they approached having him come on when they brought on some new hosts and he, he, he's surprised me because he doesn't really even like his picture taken, but um, <laughs> he, he loves having conversations and meeting people. And so oh, he great. does a great job and it's uh, fun to be with him in places and have people recognize him from there. So, <laughs> well, I love what they do there at Saints yeah. Unscripted. That's yeah. great stuff. Shout out to Saints Unscripted. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh, well, we're going to jump into second Nephi 25 and 26 today. Uh, the, their Isaiah chapters we're covering in a, a different episode, but um, this is the fantastic, uh, I guess, explanation and teaching that uh, Nephi draws on from those Isaiah chapters. This is the, those chapters launch him into these fantastic teachings, and we can't even cover everything in these chapters. I mean, it would take us several hours. Uh, so why don't you take us to a couple verses where we can do some deep dives and, and give us your thoughts on those verses? Well, any conversation that includes um, Nephi and Isaiah and the Book of Mormon and you is is a pretty cool space to be in because you're you're one of the great thinkers regarding that intersection of Isaiah and the Book of Mormon and Nephi. And um, my previous co-host John Fossum is a huge fan of yours and and seminary. Yeah, we principal. question his judgment, but yeah, yeah, <laughs> um, he is he is a super fan of the Book of Isaiah. And, and you both share that. And in hosting the show with him, it, it helped me. I wasn't opposed to the book of Isaiah, but I wasn't like madly in love with it the way John is. And I feel like you are as well. And, and the richness, especially from an author's perspective, I, I think there's a Neil A. Maxwell-esque kind of perspective when you talk about Isaiah that yeah. 
Neil A. Maxwell can say more in one sentence than I can say in paragraphs. And I feel like Isaiah is similar when it comes to scripture. If we approach it that way, then each sentence becomes instead of like a stumbling block, I think a a deep dive window into so much more than maybe what's on the surface. And so I really appreciate just like taking one verse and kind of digging a little deep into it. Um, I'm doing a a current series called just a verse. And so once a week, I'm taking literally one verse in a 60 second video and sharing thoughts. And I think sometimes, especially in church culture, we, when we're teaching Sunday school or trying to get through come follow me reading, we want to like get through a ton of content. And, and I think I've shared this with you. I feel like if scriptures change how we see our life and ourself, that's the maybe the second layer, the first layer is just maybe understanding context. And I am definitely not an expert on Isaiah and context and history, but I tend to try to get to the second layer, which is where does it really meet my life and where mm. does it matter in my life? I think the third layer, and and if if people are, are trying to decide to come to our workshop, this is what I want to talk about when we are together in person. Um, that third layer is what do we understand about the nature of God from a verse, not just how does it apply to our lives or the context of the history? But what do we understand about God because of this verse? And I think this first verse, second Nephi 25, 23, um, starts right there at the heart of that principle of understanding the nature of God. And it's for we labor diligently to write, to persuade our children and also our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. For we know that it is by grace that we are saved after all we can do. And I think, you know, from a, an editor writer perspective. I've, I've authored a number of books that comma after all we can do has thrown a lot of people. Like, do we need to do all of our effort and then be saved by grace? And I think when we're really trying to persuade our loved ones, our friends, our children, um, to believe in Christ and be reconciled with God, that's the most important message we can be posting on social about talking about with our friends focusing on when we're studying come follow me that we really by grace are saved and that's so important i mean i just think we could spend the rest of our lives just trying to understand what that after all we can do i think that is just about saying not do everything and then come to god but include god and his grace in everything that we do very good that's that's so good and uh I mean, maybe we can even just set a little context for this because I love what you're saying and where you're going. And I, I know you have some more uh, to share about that, but let's think through. I mean, we're going to do kind of big picture zoom if it's okay. Uh, yeah, that that, that yeah. 30,000 foot view. Well, it's not quite 30,000 foot, but um, where, that first layer. Yeah. Yeah. Where, where we get um, Isaiah or Nephi as he starts the book of second Nephi, he's got, he tells the story of his father's teachings and and the death and separation of the the two groups, but then he immediately launches into Jacob's teachings, which I think is inspired by the separation and trying to figure out how do we fit into the covenant now. And so it's about covenant, but he starts talking about Christ as you inevitably will, if you're talking about the covenant. Mm -hmm. And so he starts teaching about Christ. So after Nephi finishes recording Jacob's teachings about Christ and covenant, he then says, well, I need to talk more about that, but first I'm going to teach you or, or give you what Isaiah says about Christ and covenant. And then we have these deep, rich chapters that are all about Christ and covenant. And so as he finishes from there, then he starts to teach about Christ. And this is his witness of Christ. So he's providing us these three witnesses of Christ. And we're right in the middle of that witness where he talks about how he knows, you know, God's going to honor the covenant, but the Jews are going to be scattered. Uh, and then they'll come back when they come to Christ. And now he launches into his own efforts to get his own people to come to Christ and to get us to come to Christ. And so I, I think uh, this verse is in that context, right, where he, he's finally gotten, this verse seems to be the crux of what he's been trying to do in Second Nephi, which is well, to, yeah, go ahead. No, I just think just to add to that, it's so crucial that you mention Isaiah, Nephi, and Jacob. One of the powerful parts of the Book of Mormon versus maybe Old Testament or New Testament study specifically new Testament is these are people that are testifying based on faith. You know, know. they're not, they're not testifying after having a visitation or hanging out. And, and we don't always know how, how God visits his, his prophets, but 
I, I do think that that is validating to me as well, that these witnesses, as you just said, and these testimonies that Nephi is like, let's not go skip past this too fast. I need to put an exclamation point on it. He's doing that in the context of Christ hasn't come yet. Yeah. And I think that's super validating for me and motivating in studying the Book of Mormon because it's a record until you get later on in the Book of Mormon. There's a lot of record of people that are doing a lot of witnessing and testifying based on faith and hope, not after the fact. Uh, so, so true. Um, and uh, I, I think you're hitting on this point that we we struggle with, and I don't think it, reading teachings of leaders of the church or scholars or anything, that we've come to any general consensus on what do we do with this after all we can do, mm. Mark. But we have come to a general consensus on the need for Christ and grace, right? And uh, and so even before we get to the uh, exploring a little bit more the after all we can do part, I, I've got a, a question for your thoughts on this. You know, I'm, I'm about uh, Christ and the covenant and, and the relationship that he makes possible be, uh, and that the covenant makes possible with God, right? And you talked about how you want to, you're, you're interested in exploring God's nature. And and I, I think that would uh, have inherent with it, the relationship of, with God. So I'm particularly interested in this phrase uh, after he says, we want to persuade, persuade our children and our brethren to believe in Christ and to be reconciled to God. And I think he's linking those two mm. together. Um, they, they, and what follows seems to also be linked to this idea of being reconciled to God, um, so that's that's just kind of my thought. I'm wondering, uh, and I did I should have told you ahead of time. I was going to no, 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 no. I already have uh, I have thoughts coming in real time. Just our, our mutual good friend Brad Wilcox. I call him the Grace Ambassador. Yeah, I think he really started changing the conversation around grace many years ago within our faith community. You know, specifically, I think it's that doing and being and becoming that you're saying is being linked here in this reconciliation and action. I love what Elder Koch. I think I'm saying his name correctly from October. 2023 said, you know, there's all this debate of, you know, do Latter-day Saints believe in grace or do we believe in works? And I think that's what you're asking of like, what does this reconciliation and, and access to grace really look like? And we can do all the doing, or we can do all the doing as a relationship experience. And there's a difference yeah. doing all the doing just to say, I checked the boxes. I showed up at the temple. I served in my calling, or are we doing those things to, as Elder Koch said, it's so important to make and keep covenants with God as doing so will give us full access to the healing, enabling, and perfecting power of Jesus Christ through his atonement. Mm -hmm. Attending sacrament meeting weekly and worshiping in the temple regularly to participate in the ordinances and to receive and renew covenants is a sign that we recognize our dependence on Heavenly Father and our Savior, Jesus Christ. That will invite their power into our lives to help us through all of our problems and ultimately fulfill the measure of our creation. And I just think that's an ongoing process of recognizing our dependence. It's not saying, let's hurry and do it all so that we don't need the grace. It's saying, yeah. I'm doing this because just like if I start to feel distance with my husband, we plan a date night right? Or we get on the phone and have a conversation or we serve one another. Any relationship we're trying to nurture, it's about an interdependence and a collaboration and an investment. And when we make and keep covenants, that reconciliation is a way in which we have greater access to this godly quality and power. And so what do we know about God? He wants to be a part of our lives. I mean, that's what all of this messaging i think nephi is saying is he's saying god doesn't want an arm's distance relationship yeah. if you think about the sacrament that's an intimate taking in of emblems that's a one mint right that's yeah. an internal connection so everything that we're in the doing part is it creating that interdependence and an intimacy where god is saying i want to be fully integrated in your life i do not want to be sunday only special high holidays, whatever that is, right? Yeah. It's always. Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. And I couldn't agree more. This this notion that, uh, I mean, to, to be reconciled and, and uh, you know, I, I I hadn't even thought through the deconstructing that word until President Nelson did for us. And then I was like, oh yeah, that is what those words mean. But but mm -hmm. it's to sit again with, right? It's to, it's it really is to re rejoin God 
and be with him again, which is the purpose of the plan of salvation. That's the purpose of the covenant. It's the purpose of Christ. Uh, and that's what uh, it, it's exploring that idea. So I think because I have this book on Easter that's coming out just right now, and, and it's exploring uh, what Christ does to make it so we can have unity with God and how his aloneness and abandonment creates that that uh, oneness. So I'm seeing these words anew, like I've read this verse so many times, and I'm seeing this anew as I see reconciled to God. That's that's what it's all about, right? To create that unified relationship with him again. And that is only by believing in Christ and by Christ's grace, right? It doesn't matter how much I do. There, there is no way I can do enough to change myself to be able to be with God again. That that's that's just a no-win proposition, right? It is only through Christ. So I love what you said. You know, it's not like uh, until we don't need grace. No, it's about grace. That's mm -hmm. the beginning. That's the end. Uh, it, that's the whole ride. That's everything, right? If I want to have that relationship, and I love how you said it, this isn't about checklists. This is about we love God and we want to be with him. And so the things that we do happen as a result of that. And maybe that's what, after all, we can do means. I don't know. I'm still trying to figure out exactly what this means as I read like the thousands of ideas. But maybe one idea is that the things that, that we do flow naturally as we love God and are changed by Christ, then we, we do the things we should do because of that. Well, I think, too, the flip side of what you just said that was so powerful, Carrie, is um, you said one side of the coin is like, I can't prove myself and be so good and then achieve something without Christ. The flip side of that coin is you can't do horrible things and not be in the reach of the atonement as well. Like it's both sides of that coin. And, and I'm excited about your book. I, we both wrote books with let God prevail in the title. And mine was a small little booklet. Yours was much more fleshed out, but, um, I still hear from readers that pick that up randomly because the spirit says to, and the other day I got a message from a man that has lost his temple blessings and is going through a divorce. And the spirit said, go to the bookstore. And I love getting those random stories from yeah. readers. And he picked up this little booklet that I wrote called let God prevail promises are sure. And, and he went to the temple parking lot because that's all he could do. He can't, he doesn't have a current recommend to go inside. And, um, he said, I sat there and just wept because it was the reminder of letting God prevail is choosing to trust that even though I've lost my family, lost my temple blessings right now, um, and lost what, what looks like the checklist, right? Yeah. That, that God, the flip side of that coin is he's not beyond the reach. No matter, I don't need to know the details of what he's done, but there's nothing that is beyond the reach of the atonement on the other side. Sometimes we talk about grace, you know, and, and we forget that, that do we really believe and that part of the, to believe in Christ, that part of the verse to believe in Christ. Um, and I think it's Tad Callister, right. Who taught that great sermon to all of us. Like, do we really believe Christ? Do we believe that his grace is mighty to save? And are we joyfully repenting on a nightly daily basis? You know, elder Bednar talks about this cardinal direction for all of us in mortality to come unto and be perfected in Christ. And I'm like, if that's my cardinal direction every day, then I'm starting the, the day and ending the day with a joyful repentance, not a shame repentance, not a discouraged mm. repentance, not a man, I really messed up for the 2000th time today repentance, but a joyful coming to the throne by the side of my bed or my chair or in my car or in the parking lot and asking for that grace. Uh, beautifully said, beautifully said. And I, I, I mean, that part, we, we could explore uh, that notion for another hour, just the, the joyful yeah. repentance, because I know so many people who have said, no, I, I, repenting is hard. I don't like repenting. But President Nelson's taught us, no, if you're daily repenting, it doesn't mean you'll stop doing stupid things, but you still come to him with joy knowing that he's ready to work with you in the stupid thing that you did again. Yeah, right? yeah. Yeah. And that's all of us, right? We're all the prodigal. We're all little Laman and Lemuel and we're all little Sam and Eve. I think we want to believe that there's like a camp and that you arrive in one camp, but I'm a complex individual that has a little bit of everything that, you know, I'm working out. So yeah, well yeah I really do. I really do love the reconciliation part of this verse and the nature of God is revealed to me that he wants that reconciliation with me in verse 23. That's, that's beautifully said. Um, and and again, I I still don't know exactly what we mean by after all we can do, but what I do know is that grace is the focus. Christ mm -hmm. and his grace and reconciliation with God are the focus, right? So maybe the comment is just to say that's the the 
necessary but not focal point. Um, the focal point is everything that comes before. Well, I mean, I think it's Brother Brad Wilcox that teaches that like the doing part is like practicing the piano. You become more like God. It's not the doing because you don't need the teacher and you don't need the grace and you don't need the help. Um, that was a really bad summary of uh, of a great sermon he's given. But for our, our brothers and sisters, not of our faith, our other Christian brothers and sisters that believe that somehow as Latter-day Saints, we don't believe in grace and the power of grace. I think maybe we could do a better job of talking about it more boldly yeah. and prophesying um, in our own homes to one another of this, you know, fact, yeah. like, and, and maybe that leads us perfectly into verse 26, which is one of my favorites, but like, yes. what are we doing to boldly declare that we know we need a savior and that we are working each day to be reconciled to him that our busyness of going to the temple and worshiping in church and serving in callings is about a relationship of becoming, not not a doing without. Uh, beautifully said. Beautiful. So yeah, why don't we let that lead us to verse 26, which is my, like, I think it's the first verse that I ever had that I, in my scriptures, I like colored in in red so strongly you could barely <laughs> read the verse right. But I, I read this, I was like, Same. this is what it's all about. Yep. And, and honestly, I, mean, I, I love that it's, we talk of Christ, we rejoice in Christ, we preach of Christ, we prophesy of Christ, and we write according to our prophecies that our children may know to what source they may look for remission of their sins. I think for, for me as a teacher, everyone's a different kind of learner, right? And yeah, so yeah. I love that it's like, well, maybe you're not as verbal, but you like to write, or maybe you don't love to speak in church, but you, you journal keep, or you, you have friends that you privately, privately want to share, you know, your witness to, um, I think this is an invitation that are we hitting it at all the points and have we made it clear in our homes and in our families? And, and I'm going to say, culturally speaking, this isn't doctrine, this isn't gospel, um, principles specific, but culturally speaking, I think we're doing better. I think if yeah. you and I are close to the same age, if you go back to the 80s, maybe we weren't emphasizing the Christ focus as much. And and I hope we're doing better. I hope my children feel like they grew up in a home where their parents were pretty honest about how flawed and how much we've messed up and how much we need Jesus every day. I mean, one thing I tried to do as a mom is um, I have two kids that have inherited a little bit of my perfectionism. And so they would come home. And I did it better with my daughter because she was my second. My first is a pancake. I always say the first pancake's hard, you know. <laughs> and uh, but by Bro by the time I had Brooklyn, um, I realized I needed to celebrate the mistakes. And so mm. she would come home from school, and instead of like just how was your day and what homework do you have, I'd say what what mistake did you make today, and let's celebrate that. And that was my way of retraining my brain too. That like this is the way we talk and preach and rejoice of Christ that my kids knew that I needed the remission. They're going to need the remission. And that's not like just what we talk about on Sunday. It's every day in our normal encounters. And, you know, I'm still working on that. And I know they're still working on it as adults that, that it's not comfortable to be messing up, you know, but the reality is, do our kids know? I mean, we're not going here, but currently in my personal study, I'm to the point where Lehi is about to die. So that's where I am at in my own scripture study right now. And um, I find it interesting that here Lehi has been, the record we have is he's given all these prophecies and visions and he's led his family into the wilderness. And now they've gotten on the boat and they've gotten to the promised land and he's giving his final sermons. And it's at that point where he emphasized I had to be saved. I had to be redeemed by Christ. Now, I don't want to judge because we know this is a compilation of what the record was of another compilation of what the record was, right? Like yeah. there's so many edits that we can't assume we have any clear idea of what was the big theme of Lehi's life. But I find it interesting that it was at the end that he was like, by the way, we did all that. We left our house. We went into the wilderness. We went to the promised land. It was really uncomfortable because I needed a savior. I messed up. We don't hear it until it's at the end of his life where he's emphasizing I needed to be redeemed. Yeah. And I wonder how much as parents we fear telling our children I've messed up because somehow it's going to like 
explode some version of what we think they have of us mm. in their minds. And I'm wondering if this verse 26 is like a profound invitation from the ultimate parents to us to parent from a place of, are you talking about Christ in a way that feels really accessible? Do your kids know that you don't just talk about him and preach of him, but you needed him yourself, that you've messed up and your need for a savior is real, even though the parents are supposed to have all the answers sometimes, you know? <laughs> but so, we don't. And we don't. And, and I think my son, when he served a mission in Zimbabwe, he said one of the biggest gifts of his mission is while he was gone for two years, and this was before phone calls every week, you know, mm -hmm. um, he realized his parents were people. And I don't know what clicked for him finally, that we were real people and we had had real flaws and real experiences, but somehow maybe it's meeting other people on the other side of the world. But he had this new awareness that we're pretty flawed and we're people and we're trying the best we can. I think verse 26 is an invitation to make sure our kids know of our dependence on Christ. That is so beautifully said. Uh, and you're right. And and uh, it's sometimes worth, I know I've had discussions with my kids where I said, you know, I I was trying my best and my sometimes my best didn't work out that well. And and the thing I rely on, I would feel so, so sad about that, except for I can rely on Christ to make up the difference, to heal you from what I did wrong, uh, to, to make up uh, for what I didn't teach well and so on. And, and that's a conversation that's worth having. Um, mm. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that is a really important point. I, I've tried to say to my kids, man, I'm doing the best I can and I'm trying to do better than maybe what I had seen done. And you're going to do better, hopefully, than what I've seen done. And, um, you know, allowing that those open, honest conversations in really imperfect families, I think is we're all in that space where, you know, there's no one family or one set of parents that can check all the boxes and, yeah, you know, yeah. And, yeah. and I mean, in the end, hopefully we're just doing a little bit better today than we did uh, last yeah. week. But yeah. uh, I love what you said. Also, I, I think you're right uh, that we are, are at least as far as I can see, and I don't see that much, but uh, as a people getting better at beating Christ focus. So I, I kind of accidentally started this uh, on my mission, which was in uh, Southern California, but I, this was not unique to Southern California because I started doing it as I went elsewhere. Uh, you know, but you, as a missionary, you'd have uh, investigators out. And we, I can remember we had someone out on a fast and testimony meeting, and that's always makes you nervous. This is going to be the best or the worst thing, right? Depending upon what someone <laughs> says. You have no idea what travel yeah. log stories coming up yeah, or and crazy stuff or some witness of some, <laughs> yeah. you know, random doctrine principle. Yeah, uh, that's exactly right. So we had uh, someone who was very, very Christian and we'd been talking about Christ a lot and they came out and, uh, and I started to pay attention, uh, and, there were a lot of testimonies and no one mentioned Christ. And I so I started counting after that in all the testimony meetings. I was there, BYU, different places I traveled around to. And we were typically around zero to 10% of the testimonies mentioned Christ, which is, was shocking to me, but I, I I've now stopped counting. I did for like decades, but it got to be where now it's most of the time. I, so I should say, Besides closing in the name of Jesus Christ, amen, which you could tell most of the time they weren't even thinking about and they'd say, right, because it just turned into or whatever. Yeah, yeah, it was the Hebrew version of whatever. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, yeah. So, uh, but it, we have gotten better and I'm, I'm so grateful, but I think we still have uh, room to grow. I know with myself uh, on any given topic, I might be talking about the covenant or I might be. Uh, talking about um, uh, the Book of Mormon or something along those lines. And it's mm -hmm. easy to really get into the weeds on that and forget that it has to have this focus on Christ because in the end, that's, well, God and Christ. And and President Nelson has been emphasizing that in different occasions. Let's not leave God out of this. It's God and Christ and how Christ, the purpose of Christ is to bring us to God, right? Yeah, so that's I mean, why we've got that reconcile ourselves to God part in the other, earlier verse. Right. And I think it was 2020 when among other things happening in the world, maybe I'm wrong on this. When president Nelson was like, let's correct the name we're using, you know, yeah. it's on our church buildings. And yet I, I'm with you. I've been in the same testimony meetings where it's like, wait, did we preach of Christ? Did we testify guys? Did we rejoice? You know, uh, did no, we rejoice? Like, did yeah. we get excited about, we should be the most hopeful people. And yet yes. sometimes we can seem to be the most downtrodden and, and busy and burnout. And 
I, I think that's when it's perfectly okay to do as maybe Enos was doing and strip away whatever's on the to-do list and leave for the whole day or a couple of days and go out in the wilderness and get clear on you and God and what it's really about and, and stop being distracted. And, and, you know, I think the most powerful testimonies have been the simplest, humblest. Mm -hmm. It's the, it's the missionaries that have been in our home that are awkward in their communication and not even able to sometimes give eye contact that I I'm thinking of a time where a missionary came into our home and, and, and our son was preparing for his mission. And in that anxious stage of, do I know enough about the book of Mormon to really go do this for two years? And this missionary just humbly testified that his whole mission he had had, as Paul said, a thorn in his side, the whole mission. Hmm. And never quite overcame it, but every day relied on Christ. And I remember my son saying, okay, I can do this. Because oh. I saw that elder and he struggled to just be in our home and have a conversation. And 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 he wasn't eloquent and he wasn't a great scriptorian. But he bore a simple, powerful testimony of his reliance on Christ. And, and it made a difference. Right? And it made a difference for my son, who then had the courage to get on an airplane and fly 28 hours to Zimbabwe and and teach people for two years in a in a country where you didn't always have food, you know? And so we don't we have no idea sometimes maybe people listening to this aren't gonna do a podcast like you and I or write books or speak or or do other media or pro maybe even post on social media, but your one-on-one -on -one conversations where you're vulnerable. And that's why I brought up Lehi. When you're vulnerable and you say in a really personal way, this is where I saw Christ come into this situation. This is where I can prophesy with other prophets that he is my redeemer. And he is, as Elder Anderson said, um, the anchor of my soul, right? Yes. When we do that in a vulnerable way, hearts are changed and... We don't need to make it so complicated. It's the simple, powerful witness for me that when I get in the weeds and I get complicated in my own head about what's tomorrow going to look like, or am I accomplishing anything? Am I bringing it back to the source and who I rely on? And that is my savior. Uh, beautifully said. Beautifully said. Uh, and and I love how you, you mentioned uh, this idea that he includes in there, rejoicing in Christ. This is another movement I've been seeing, right? So I, mm -hmm. I think we're getting better at all of these things, but I've seen uh, President Nelson uh, talk, use a phrase, add more joy. Uh, well, I haven't seen it. I've heard about it from uh, uh, those who have seen it. And uh, Or uh, we've had this emphasis lately on our worship services and, and having joy in our worship services and, and so on and so on. Um, if we can help people feel as as that elder did, as your son did, and uh, as I hope we're doing, that there there is a joy to find in being with Christ, mm. that there's an incredible joy to find there, and that um, we that that repentance that you talked about will bring us joy. Teaching others will bring us joy, but hopefully we can tell them about the joy. Hopefully they can see it and feel it, but we can also talk about it rather than the burdens and the worries. We can talk about that as well, but that, but that that leads us to the joy that we find in Christ. And if we can have that be part of our talking and our preaching and our prophesying and our writing, uh, if we can have the the rejoicing in Christ be part of this, then we'll have more joy, and that's wonderful. And I think too, it's so powerful when my kids would say their friends would come over and feel something in our home. Right. And it, you don't have to have the fanciest house or the most quote unquote successful career to be a witness of Christ. It's, it's that feeling. And when people come into my home and mention the peace they feel, mm -hmm. there's no greater compliment. That's not what color my carpet is or my furniture or how I decorate it. I mean, I think it's Kathleen Hughes, who said like, we need to have homes where, especially as women and men that are trying to raise families, where you sometimes feel like you have to be firm and you're getting the homework done and you're paying the bills and you're all of that. But when people come into our home, they're leaving the turmoil of the world. And I think this is another, you know, reference to the children of Israel. Like, is there a covering? Is there a light? Is there a um, a respite from the world when people are with us or in our homes. And I think that is, that is the way in which I find the best way to preach of Christ. 
you know, and I didn't even have to yeah. say words. It's how people feel when they're with you and when they're in your home. That's a sermon right there. Yeah. Amen. Yeah. Amen. Well, I think you had one other verse that you wanted us to talk yeah, about. Yeah, I, I just, I feel like I, I was going to just kind of settle in chapter 25, but I think there's so many great verses in 26 that I just wanted to bring out this one principle. And I think it's pretty obvious from verse 33 uh, in second Nephi 26, and none of these iniquities come of the Lord for he doeth that, which is good among the children of men. And he doeth nothing, save it be plain unto the children of men. And he invited them all to come unto him and partake of his goodness. And he denieth none that come unto him black and white, bond and free, male and female, and he remembereth the heathen and all are alike unto God, both Jew and Gentile. And I mean, you can speak to culturally why it's powerful that, you know, there were these groups specifically mentioned and named. But I think as President Nelson said, just in 2023, the gospel net is the largest net in the world. And God has invited all to come unto him, black and white, bond and free, male and female. There is room for everyone. However, there is no room for prejudice, condemnation, or contention of any kind. And that that was his powerful talk on being peacemakers. And I just think if if we just could end on this kind of principle of God is not biased. He is mighty to save. And it goes back to that original question I offered at the beginning. What do we know about the nature of God from verse 33? What we know about the nature of God is he invites all to come unto him. And he is not saying not that group or not from that country or not that gender or not that, you know, socioeconomic status. He invites all. And I think that's such a powerful invitation that we really, um, we really see examples of prejudice and hate and othering that we do to one another and ites yeah. Yeah. and modern day iting, you know, that it's so easy to be us against them and this group on social media. And, you know, at the time of this taping, there's a, presidential election happening and that's when the ites show up and so does god love this group versus that you know yeah. group and and god is being really clear with us the nature of god tells us in verse 33 he invites all uh, uh that's that's wonderful and again if we're going to try and think through the nature of god uh, i i learned the most about it and not everyone has this opportunity in this life but hopefully we can learn from each other's experiences uh, I learned the, uh, the, a lot about God. Maybe it's the where I learned the most, or maybe it's close to it, but uh, from being a parent. And I think, you know, I have six kids. Uh, some of them are pretty tall. Some are pretty short. Uh, some of them are uh, ha having real health struggles uh, and mental health struggles. Uh, some of them are just chugging along in school and, and doing great. Some of them are achieving all sorts of things. The world is there great. Some are struggling to just be okay. And I can't think of any, if I had one that had just uh, been arrested for a crime, I can't think of anything that would happen where I'd say, okay, well, I don't really want to talk to you anymore. Yes. I'm, I'm, I'm done with you. I, I, I can't imagine anything that would cause that to be the case. It would always be that, no, I want you to come back. If you need to change yourself and turn around so you can be with us, that's fine, you know, to get out of jail or something, whatever. And my kids aren't in jail. I want to be clear, but, um, but, uh, <laughs> But whatever it takes to get them to where they can be with us, that's what I would want. And I think that's what Nephi is telling us here. It doesn't all of that other stuff doesn't matter. It's those identities that President Nelson taught us about child of God uh, and people can choose to be a child of the covenant and a disciple of Christ. Everyone is a child of God and we want everyone to be part of the covenant and, and follow Christ. Uh, those are the identities we focus on and everything else is fluff. I, I love that you emphasized that that's, that feels like an expansion of what I was originally feeling from this verse. And it brings to mind, um, a conversation I had with a dear friend who is navigating her daughter, making different choices outside the covenant. Mm -hmm. And she witnessed her parents dealing with a similar story with her, her own sister. And not navigating it well. And so back to that theme of, are we doing better culturally? I think we're doing better culturally in that 
maybe there were times where parents were going to church and they were sitting in Sunday school or release study or elders quorum. And they were thinking we must have followed the recipe wrong because the choices of our children don't look like um, we thought they were going to look. And we're the only ones. We're the only ones having this experience. And the messaging maybe wasn't as clear on how to stay in connection and relationship. So when you just said that, there's nothing out of my six kids that would make me not want to be in a relationship with them. Yeah. It doesn't mean we don't weep for our children and their choices. And sometimes we feel like they're choosing the harder path and way. But this dear friend has been such an example to me in the last couple of years of staying in relationship. She hasn't taken her covenants and her values and said, well, I'm going to put them on a shelf so I can stay in relationship with my child who's doing choosing different. She's saying, this is what I value. And I want to stay in relationship with you, even though you're choosing differently than I thought for you or wanted for you. And, and I think that's a really tender, painful place. I don't want to oversimplify what that looks like. That right. for me is what I teach in my book, The Stewardship Principle, that when we're in stewardship versus ownership, God is so brilliant at staying in stewardship with us. He honors our agency. He's the perfect parent. He doesn't he doesn't withdraw connection because we mess up. We we do that every day. We may not have the same access to him. And I think boundaries are, are crucial in relationships where maybe there's not the same access with a child or a family member because of the choices they're making. But I think there, that, that principle that you just fleshed out to me is, is so applicable to so many relationships I see playing right now where yeah. it's like, how do you separate uh, the decision someone is making from their worth? And how do you stay in connection with them when what they value is different than what you value? And the value, you know, piece of this is that God ultimately isn't panicked, you know, as yeah. a parent. I'm the one who starts to panic. I start filling in the whole story of like, well, this is where we're at on the linear map. And for God, it's one eternal round. And so I think about a thousand years of the millennium and one eternal round. The nature of God is not being panicked. He is the ultimate arms outstretched. I think it's Elder Holland who said, you know, the image of Christ hanging on the cross is, is arms outstretched always. The story of the prodigal is arms outstretched always. And that doesn't mean there aren't consequences of walking away from a birthright and living with the swine, right? Or yeah. whatever that is. But God wants to be in relationship with us. And how can we stay in connection and relationship with the people we love when they're choosing differently than we had hoped for, planned for, and prayed about? Uh, that's so powerful and so well said. And as, as you said it, I realized some things about my own relationships with my children and with God that I, I, I hadn't thought of before, but that helped me understand it better. So maybe, uh, and I don't want to go on too long about this, but maybe I can say it this way. So some of my children have had things thrust upon them from the outside that have brought them sadness and sorrow. Some of that is sometimes health things that they had no control over. Some of it is things people have done to them uh, that have brought real sorrow and real pain. Um, and, uh, and, and then there are some things, sorrows and pains that have come because of choices. I mean, I've had sorrow from choices I've made. They've had sorrow from choices they've made. But when I think of my children, when I've seen them make choices that, that I knew they thought this is what was going to make them happy, but I knew that's, that's actually going to maybe be happy for a second. And then it's sorrow. But I also understood, well, they're doing that because they've had these things happen to them. And so they see things this way, they're seeing things incorrectly. And that's why they're making those choices. And so my feelings about the sorrow they were experiencing from their choices, as opposed to the sorrow they were experiencing from things that happened to them, it was no different to me. I felt no differently about them. I love them the same. I, I wish they didn't have sorrow in the same way. And, and there was no uh, negativity towards that. And I, as, as I realized that, as you were talking, I suddenly realized, of course, that's how God feels about us, right? Of course. And he knows all those details. You know, my sister that died by suicide 10 years ago, he knows about the sexual abuse that she was the victim of. She, mm -hmm. He understands how she navigated a learning disability. He understands the mental health issues in our family of origin. He understood all of those dynamics. And so when, when a loved one in a real, in a real um, I always say suicide is one decision someone makes, not every decision they make, but when 
a loved one chooses into that, that is the pain and the exhaustion of their soul. I am so grateful for a God that is loving and all-knowing. Yes. That yeah. he gets to see the beginning from the end. And he understands why, you know, I'm I'm venturing in the new world of sourdough bread baking. I'm the last one to do it. I don't do pickleball yet, but I, I have <laughs> finally started doing sourdough bread baking. And it took me lots of tries and lots of dead ends. And I'm I'm finally figuring out why certain conditions help the bread work, but I still don't understand all of it. And 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 people ask, well, how did you get it to take? I, I I don't know. I'm I'm trying to practice principles that I know are effective, but it depends on the temperature of my oven and the and the temperature outside and right and the type of flour and the scale yeah. that I bought. That's as complex as sourdough bread making is. Each of us individually, our internal progression is that complex. And so I'm grateful for a father in heaven and a mother in heaven that understand the complexities and are witness to all those dynamics that play into the choices I'm making today and how I feel about myself, how I see myself, you know, in the economy of God, he is, he's generous and mighty to save, but man, it, we are all complex individuals. And like you said, um, how is pain different from, from pain, from, a choice versus the pain of something that's happened to you or because it's a stewardship God's trusted you with. God understands the effect of pain, just like he understands the effect of the temperature on my sourdough start and why yeah. it's going to bubble or not bubble one day, you know? Yeah. Oh, that's, that's beautiful. And then of course that all comes back to where we were earlier as uh, whether we are heathen or Jew or Gentile, bond or free, black or white, uh, and however complex we are, Christ's atoning sacrifice can extend enough grace for all of that. If we will focus on him, testify of him, believe in him, and believe him, uh, then that can make up for all the sorrow, all the imperfections, and reconcile us with God. Yes, amen. That's all I can say to that is amen. Well, this has been so much fun, Gainalyn. It's probably a good place to to wrap it up. But I'm so grateful for uh, you know all of your experiences and all of your perspectives that uh, you you bring to the table and the and the way you are able to share it with all of us. So thank you for that. Well, thanks for the invitation. It's been a joy for me to rejoice and preach together with you a little bit today. Uh, it's good stuff, and we hope people will join us uh, for our our workshop and for uh, future workshops that we'll do together, and that I think we'll probably. Uh, team up with some others uh, in my family to do mental health workshops as well. We, we've got all sorts of plans. So we hope everyone will join them all. Um, and we hope that uh, if you've found this helpful, that that you'll, you'll have that change in your life, but you'll also share it with others, talking to them the way you teach, but also by likes and downloads and social media shares and all those things that you can do. Uh, we'd invite you to, uh, to join us this week. I'm also uh, visiting with uh, Rabbi Joe Charnas. Uh, about some of the Isaiah verses. So that's the other episode for this week. And then we hope you'll tune in next week as uh, Stephen Smoot visits with me about uh, more of Isaiah's uh, commentary on the Isaiah chapters. So that'll be a great week next week. And uh, we hope in all of these things, we're making the scriptures real so that you can come unto Christ. So thank you again, Gainalyn. Thanks for having me, Carrie.